invite you this morning to turn with me to Luke chapter 17 as we continue to wait, uh, work our way through the gospel according to Luke and consider these things that the Lord Jesus Christ impresses upon us. So let us now give our attention to the reading of God's word there in Luke chapter 17. Let us now give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's word in Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea. And it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat? Will not rather say unto him, Make ready, wherewith I may sup, and gird myself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye have, shall have done all those things which are commanded of you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do come before Thee this morning, and we plead for Thy mercy upon us. Lord, we confess that we are dull of hearing, that we are often distracted and drawn away by many things. But we pray that our hearts and our minds would be drawn unto the Scriptures. And we pray, O Lord, that as we hear Your Word preached this morning, that You would give us understanding, that You would give us insight, that You would apply this Word to our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we have been considering for some time, and we have seen Luke going throughout his gospel, focusing upon this call to discipleship. It's not just found here in this one chapter, but it is seen throughout the epistle of Luke, particularly as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. We see this call to discipleship. We see this call to follow Jesus. We saw last week the first two characteristics of what it is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those two particulars that we focused upon there in your outline by way of introduction, we saw the restraint of sin in verses 1 and 2 and the readiness to forgive in verses 3 through 4. Now, I confess that last week was one of the most difficult passages to preach, and you can feel that tension. 
because it goes against our nature to think about, I have to go and confess my fault, or I have to go and reprove my brother when there is sin. And as we consider the passage before us, Jesus teaches that if we're truly going to be his disciples, if we're going to follow him, then our life needs to be one that is manifested by forgiveness, by restraining sin, and by the need for continuing faith. And so as Jesus had reminded his disciples, and he's speaking primarily to those twelve, he says offenses will come. And he's speaking of particularly of those offenses that will come against the apostles, those offenses that will come against the church, particularly in the way of false doctrine. He says it would be better if those who... who um, bring those offenses, would be cast into the sea. And so he's telling us that in our duty as disciples, we have the responsibility to never place a stumbling block in our brother's way. And the question is this morning, have we placed those stumbling blocks there? Have we caused a brother or sister to fall because of something we have said or done? And so that's why he says there should be the readiness to forgive. As I said last week, um, the readiness to forgive is a sign of a true disciple if one is not willing to forgive. You've got a question. Are they really a follower of Christ? Because when you consider, what has Christ done to forgive us of our sins? Well, he died to cover our shame and our guilt. And Christ died for more than just one or two of my sins. He died for every sin, past, present, and future. Yet we should show the same readiness to forgive. And so the call to forgiveness really is the call that connects this passage together. And so we don't want to see the passage as just a bunch of isolated statements that Jesus places here. But we want to see that there's a connection. That that call to faith is connected to what he has said about the need for restraining sin and the readiness to forgive. And so we come to our passage before us this morning and we see a recognition on the part of these apostles of their own weakness. Verse 5 says, The apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And so we automatically read that and we think, well, no, faith can't be increased. Faith is a gift of God. And yet the apostles prayed, Lord, increase our faith. Now we understand that faith is a gift of God. We understand that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, that we are saved. And so true saving faith, as our confession of faith reminds us, is a work of God. That true saving faith results in resting, trusting, and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we must understand that faith is never complete. There are degrees of faith. That is why oftentimes in the scripture we see the call to increasing faith. There are a number of passages in Scripture that call us to consider um, 
the need for increasing our faith. There in Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, Jesus says to his disciples, How is it that ye have no faith? I want us to, to look at that passage quickly, just kind of give us an understanding of our passage here this morning. But there in, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God through parables. This is the primary emphasis of his ministry, his, his work, his hearing the word of God through parables. And then you come to Mark chapter 4 in verse 40. And what is the scene here? Verse 38, or verse 37, the disciples are in the boat with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great storm that came, wind that came, and the wind and the waves beat against the ship. And he that was in the hinder part of the ship, the Lord Jesus Christ, was asleep. That's probably where I would be if I was on a boat in a storm, sound asleep. I don't think so. And yet they awoke him and said, Master, don't you care that we perish? It says, Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. Wind ceased and there was a calm. And Jesus said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Now, Jesus is not stating that they have no saving faith. They could not follow him. They could not believe in him. They could not trust in him if they had no faith. But in that instance, he questions, why do you have no faith? Why are you not trusting me that I will protect you from this storm? And so, as they have shown their fearful tendencies there, he reminds them that he is the God who rules over the wind and the storms, that there's nothing they need to fear. So it's not that they don't have any faith. It's that in that moment they didn't show that faith. And so that is the, the scene there in that account. Over in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8, there are a number of passages that, that, that state this. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8. The scene there is The Pharisees and the Sadducees have rejected Jesus. And there in verse 8, the Lord Jesus says, Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because you have brought no bread? And so here in the scene, it says, that the disciples do not understand. They show their lack of faith. They show that they are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. There in the account of Matthew chapter 15 and verse 28. There 
Then Jesus answered and said unto the woman, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. And so here this centurion woman, this Gentile woman who came to Jesus, is called, is indicated that she had great faith. And so how is it that in the scriptures, Jesus can say, O ye of little faith, I have not found so great a faith in Israel. How is it that Jesus can question the faith of his disciples, and yet how can he state also that some have great faith? So faith has degrees. True saving faith is that which we have when we come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cast ourselves upon his mercy. We trust in him. And yet there are degrees of faith. And so that is why the disciples pray, Lord, increase our faith. They recognize that as they hear Jesus calling them to put aside their sin, to restrain their sin, to restrain those offenses, and to be ready to forgive, they realize this is impossible. And I will confess this morning that there are by nature those that are impossible to, to, to deal with, to love. And that's, that's really what the disciples were, were dealing with here. Lord, how can we do this? How can we forgive those who trespass against us seven times in a day? It can't be done. And that's why they pray, Lord, increase our faith. Some would say that we see the lack of the apostles' faith here when they say increase our faith. I don't see that at all. I see the opposite. That they recognize that they're weak. They recognize that they cannot be ready and willing to forgive. And so... They say, increase our faith. If they prayed, increase our faith, then obviously faith can be increased. Reasons why faith can be increased. There can be an increase of faith that is connected with an increase of holiness. And so as our faith is in increased, our holiness is increased, our desire to follow Christ. But we also see another reason that faith can be increased, and that because there is an increase of faith that is connected with the increase of comfort and usefulness. And so when our faith is strengthened, when our faith is increased, we have greater comfort and we have greater usefulness in the kingdom of God. And as we see this passage before us, the apostles realize they're coming to the end of their earthly journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming to that time when he will suffer and die and on the third day be raised up. They realize that it's coming to the end. And so they realize that they need an increase of faith that they might be useful to the master within the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon says that faith is not a weed to grow on every dunghill with care, 
But it is a plant of heavenly growth and requires divine watching. Faith indeed is not something that we possess because we by nature are hostile to God. We by nature resist God. And so we need the Spirit to increase in us faith. And so as that faith is increased, as that faith grows, it is like a heavenly plant that requires the care and the watching of the Master. And Jesus tells them later, the end of his life, as they're gathered there in that upper room at the Passover meal, he says, you're going to experience trial and tribulation, and I'm going to go away, but my spirit will be with you. And so he reminded them that he would be with them, that he would strengthen them, that in their service to the kingdom of God, that they would have the strength and the power to do what he commanded them to do. And so they ask, Lord, increase our faith. Do we often ask that prayer? We should. We should pray every day, Lord, increase my faith. My faith is weak. I'm a child of Adam. I cannot do what, what pleases God, and so I need that faith to be increased and strengthened. And so there is a need for that increasing of faith. Here in this didactic discourse, or what is a teaching aspect of Christ's ministry, he shows that the exercising of love and forgiveness and humility are connected to prayer. Increase our faith. And so they're asking the Lord Jesus Christ, in order for us to love, in order for us to forgive, in order for us to show charity and humility, we need our faith strengthened. We, we just saw there in First Peter chapter 5 that we are what? To cast all of our cares upon him, for he careth for us. And so there is a need for the increase of faith. We are all weak. And one thing is certain that we should never come to the place as Christians where we trust in our own strength or our own power. We should always come, even as believers, before the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing, Lord, I am weak. I am a sinful man. As Peter says, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. We must come to the place, even as Christians, where we are dissatisfied with ourselves, that we need that increase of faith. Oh, Christian, never come to the place where you are satisfied with the state of your soul. If you ever come to that place, then plead for God's mercy. I think all of us can confess there are times in our life when we just become kind of complacent, status quo. And yet for the believer, we need to be like these apostles. Lord, increase our faith. We are weak. And so Jesus exhorts us and calls us to that increase of faith. The nature of that faith is that it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas Watson says, a weak faith can lay hold on a strong Christ. Friends, our faith is not strong. 
But our Savior is strong. And so we cast our weak faith upon Him. We lay hold of Christ. We might increase in our faith. Friends, our strongest faith is not able to save us. But our weakest faith in Christ holds on to a Savior in whom we rest. I don't know about you, but most of us realize, at least I hope we do, that there are so many weaknesses that we are constantly bombarded by the, the weakness of our own flesh. We, we know that Satan is aware of those weaknesses, and oftentimes he attacks us we, where we are the most, most vulnerable. And yet we need that strong and secure faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we find here in our text, he says, Lord, increase our faith. But as they pray, Lord, increase our faith, there in verses uh, 7 through 10, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ gives them this parable or what is called an illustration of what faith looks like. And so as we find here in verse 6, the Lord says, If ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea. And it shall be done. This is a mulberry tree. This is a sycamore tree. And what Jesus is saying by way of analogy, what Jesus is saying by way of application, is if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, and some would argue whether the mustard seed is the smallest seed in ancient Palestine, but Jesus says that if you had the grain of a mustard seed, indicating that if your faith was even as small as that mustard seed, you would be able to say to that tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea. Now let me issue a word of caution, because there are those who have that doctrine that faith can do whatever you want. If you want to heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead and and do all kinds of wonderful work, miracles, all you need is faith to do it. That is not what Jesus is saying. This faith is not a performance of magical tricks. This faith is not something that is a presumption. But this faith is a resting and a trusting in Jesus Christ to perform it. And so Jesus says, if your faith is like that sycamore tree, indicating that this is perhaps one of the trees in ancient Palestine that had a root system that went way down. And so it was very difficult to uproot that tree. And so he says by way of analogy that you can accomplish many things for the kingdom of God by your faith. You cannot accomplish anything without faith. Let me say that again. Without faith, What does the writer of Hebrews say? It's impossible to please God. And so without faith, we cannot do anything. But with faith, we can do all things. What? Through Christ, who strengthens us. And so we find that we need that faith to to trust in the work 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need that increase of faith that we, like the apostles, might be diligent in the work of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he reminds them of their need for faith, we here see that this call to faith also means that there must be a putting off of pride. That's what we see in the rejection of honor there in verses 7 through 10. That as he reminds them that their faith will give them strength and power to do what he has commanded them to do. But then in verses 7 through 10, we see the rejection of honor. And this is really set in the context of this whole teaching on humility. And so there in verses 7 through 9, he talks about being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that forgiving one another and being ready to forgive by faith is not going above and beyond our duty. He illustrates there we simply are doing our duty. He gives the illustration there in verse 7 of a servant plowing or feeding cattle. Will you say unto him when he's coming in the field, go and sit down to meet or sit down to eat? And will not he rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird myself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow, or the word trow means thank, I thank not. So likewise, when you have done all those things commanded of you, you are simply unprofitable servants who have done your duty. And so Jesus is, is, is showing them that the duty that they have to forgive, their duty to, to increase their faith, their duty to be useful in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ requires that they not give attention to places of honor. In this parable of the farmer and the servant, what does it mean to serve? Jesus says to serve means to do what he's commanded them to do. I think sometimes we look at service as giving out meals or opening our home. And, and those are, are types of service. But when we look at that word service in Scripture, it always has to do with our obedience to Christ in whatever we do. And so in our call to forgive, in our call to set aside our, our petty, weak sins, we are called to serve Christ. And so they are called to reject that honor, they are to put aside their pride and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There in Mark chapter 9 and verse 35, Mark chapter 9 verse 35, Jesus sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last, and the servant of all. 
And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto him, Whosoever shall receive one such chil- of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me, but him who sent me. And so Jesus here is showing that they are called to be the servant of all men. And that sign of humility and dependence upon the Lord is the model for true Christian discipleship. In our day, when people look for gimmicks and plans, well, what is it to be a, a true disciple of Christ? Let's just, let's just mark this out in a graph. No, Jesus says, what is it to be a disciple? Disciple means that we serve others. To be a disciple means that we put ourselves first, uh, last and that we put others first. That as the Lord Jesus Christ shows us how to serve, we are to serve in the same way. Remember that wonderful illustration there in the Gospel of John? John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, a lengthy passage. But there in that Passover meal, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He reveals his passion, death, and resurrection to his disciples. And how does he illustrate this commandment to love one another? By taking their dirty, stinky feet and washing them. Now remember in the first century, they didn't have closed shoes like we do. They may have gone barefooted. They may have gone with maybe Birkenstocks, I don't know. But they would have had sandals of some sort. And so when you came into a home, the first thing the, the host did was wash your feet. He didn't have you sit down and serve you something to eat or drink, but he would wash your feet. And there in that account, before that feast, before they had eaten the meal, Jesus washed their feet, indicating the sign of humility, showing that he was their servant and they were to be the servant of others. And if we do not know how to serve, because we have not found mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Service is not something that people should be forced into doing. But without faith, no man can serve Christ. But here, Jesus shows us that they are to reject that honor, that they are to put aside their false humility, and that they are to serve not out of a sense of reward, not out of a sense of what do I get out of this deal, but out of a sense of duty. And really, at the end of the day, your pastor and your elders included, our duty is that of unprofitable servants. We are called to do what Jesus commands us to do. And frankly, we can't do it. I will confess there are weeks I think, I can't do this. You probably have those weeks too. And it is in those moments when we need to confess, Lord Jesus Christ, help my unbelief. Help me in my weakness. I cannot do this apart from your saving grace. And so they are to reject their own pride and arrogance. They are to serve as those out of a sense of duty. They are to display humility in their service. Just like faith, there are... There is true faith and there is a false faith. In the same way, humility 
can be seen in true humility, humility or false humility. And you can see what true humility looks like. You can't look at someone's heart and think, ah, he's not really humble, he's proud. But you can see pride. And the disciples struggled with that. That's why they prayed, Lord, increase our faith so that we will not be given over to our own devices. And so really, this recognition, this rejection of honor in verses 7 through 10 is a call to humility, a call to serve one another. And sometimes we must confess, Lord, I cannot serve. Help me in my unbelief. Thomas Watson says that we must look upon a humble Savior and let our flumes or our coverings of pride fall off. Pride begins to fall off. Pride begins to fall when we look to Christ. And I think all of us, perhaps to an extent, struggle with this. But when we find ourselves proudful, proudful in our accomplishments, proudful in the things that uh, we have accomplished, we need to look to Christ. We need to look to the one who condescended on our behalf, that that pride might fall off. And so let us pray that the Lord would increase our faith so that we might serve and glorify him. By way of application this morning here, I think is the urgency. It's a short passage of scripture. There's a lot here. But there's an urgency for two things. First of all, there's an urgency to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some sitting here this morning who have not come to that place. Perhaps there are some who have all kinds of excuses for why they're not going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that urgency to believe in Christ, to trust in Him for your salvation, is an urgent thing. Some think they are believers because they've grown up in the church. Some think they are believers because... They have been baptized. Some think that they are believers because they believe in some proposition. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Friends, if you are not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, if you have not trusted in Him to forgive you and cleanse you of your sins, your state is a wretched and deplorable one. And you need to come to Christ today. And I would plead even for our young people. The urgency is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe in Him, to trust in Him for your salvation. But here's a urgency to those who are believers. And that urgency comes in two ways. That we are called to give diligence to increase our faith. Why is it that some Christians see so little progress in their faith? Why is it that some Christians see so little progress in their sanctification? Why is it that some have a lack of assurance? Oftentimes it's because we are not increasing in faith. When you are not regularly attending to the 
to the sacraments of the church when you're not readily sitting under the preaching of the word and listening to the word and asking, what do I need to do? How can you have any assurance? And so we are called to give diligence, as Peter says, to make our calling and our election sure. And so there's a need to increase in faith. We need to trust in Christ. We need to come and cast upon him our doubts. We need to come and cast upon him our weakness. We need to say, Lord Jesus Christ, help me. for I'm a sinful man. But not only do we need to give diligence to increase in our faith, we need to trust in the promises of God. The scriptures are so full of the promises of God. In the gospel, we are given the promises, but we're also given the warnings. But as we see the promises of God, the scriptures remind us that if we cast ourselves upon him, he cares for us, that those who trust in him shall what? Never be disappointed. And so we must cling to the promises of God. We must cling to every promise that he has given for us. For the Apostle Paul says that every promise in Christ Jesus is one. Yes. And amen. The roots of pride will remain even in the most godly saint. But the power of grace through the Holy Spirit breaks that pride and strengthens us that we might walk in conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you memorized Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20? Our young people are memorizing the catechism, but that is a wonderful passage to memorize. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul reminds us, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Because Christ has imputed unto the elect his death and the benefits of his death, we are in union with Christ. The believer's earthly life is lived by faith. We daily Rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ in the promises that he has given to us. We increase in holiness and we ultimately look forward to that glorious day when we will be perfected. Friends, we are not dead if we are in Christ. We are alive. Paul says we're dead to sin, but we're alive Unto God. And because we are alive in Christ, we live by faith. And so the call for us is to cast aside that pride, to cast aside that, that arrogance, and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for his mercy and grace. So the question is this morning are you growing in grace? Are you increasing in grace or are you decreasing? What is the state of your soul today? Are you um, 
Do you see progress in your sanctification? Sanctification is not something where we just kind of climb and then suddenly we have arrived. Our sanctification is always like this. We're growing. We're, we're producing fruit. And yet the evidence of true saving faith is always in the fruit. The nature of Christian service is seen in our service to others, in our sacrifices, and in our submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and to our brothers and sisters. Are you dissatisfied this morning with yourselves? And this is an exhortation to increase in faith. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Even with all the imperatives and the warnings, we see that because the Lord Jesus Christ loves us, because he has told us to cast ourselves upon him, we have been given the grace and the power to trust in him, to forgive, to turn from sin, and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this call this morning is to a call to not only practice forgiveness, but to have a faith that is strong and powerful. Jesus told his disciples before they left, he says, greater things will ye do than I have done. Speaking of the fact that they will have grace and power as, as the apostles to do even greater things than Jesus did. That doesn't mean in kind. It doesn't mean we're going to be able to work the same works that Jesus did. But that is a reminder to us that because we are in Christ, we have faith, we are able to stand opposed to the evil one. We are able to serve and to glorify God. We are able to do what he has commanded us to do. And so as we consider this morning our call as unprofitable servants, do the will of God. We realize that apart from faith, we cannot even begin to start. So this morning is the question, do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have the faith to believe in him? And if you do, are you progressing in holiness? Perhaps this morning we need to consider the need to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to increase our faith even when we are weak. So this morning, as we think upon these four characteristics, the restraint of sin, the readiness to forgive, the recognition of our weakness, and the rejection of honor, we are called as servants of Christ, not to be puffed up with pride, but to be overflowing in service and love, one to another, to the glory and the honor of our God, knowing that we will be rewarded on that final day. But let us go forth with the desire to increase in faith so that we might do what the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to do. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do confess this morning, as these apostles did, that we are weak and that we need our faith increased. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we doubt, we are filled with fear and unbelief. Yet we pray, O oh Lord, that you would help our unbelief, that you would increase our faith so that we might trust you to do what you have commanded us to do, to see the difficulties and the obstacles that come. 
as for our good and for your glory. And so we pray that you would help us to gird ourselves up, that we might be servants of Christ, that we might serve you and serve others. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.